This morning I'm going to uh, be speaking on two or three verses in, in the eighth chapter of Romans. And uh, for everyone who has been, you know, uh, I'm not even sure which day it is. I think Randy on Wednesday night has been going through the book of Romans. And he's just gone through chapter 8. And uh, I just feel like I'd like to talk on these verses and bring it out in a way in Scripture that illustrates what I believe these verses here are talking about. And so I'm going to go ahead and read these, and uh, and we'll get started. It says in verse 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Father, this morning I'd like to come to you and just ask you, Lord, that God, I need your grace this morning. I need your guidance. And I just pray, Lord, that I believe that everybody that is sitting here is for a reason. And I pray, God, that we could be encouraged, be strengthened, built up, just, God, to be made conformed to the image of Christ. I pray for those that aren't with us this morning, God, that are going through sickness, the little little kids and the adults like, Lord, we just want to lift them up and just pray for them this morning, God. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to be actually going through several chapters in the book of Genesis. Um, Not to scare you, but I'm going to cover from chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50. Now, that sounds like we'll be here all day, but I'm going to try to be a lot briefer than that. I want to tell you this. About probably, I'm going to say about eight, nine years ago, God began to open up um, some things to me to where I'm at today, just on what you would call Reformed theology things of that nature, and it probably started right here. And years ago, I talked about this sermon that I'm going to talk about, and and I just called it that God is in complete control. But here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Um, When it says that, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose— I think sometimes we, we read that, and, and I think people have came away with the idea that everything that happens in my life should be good, and it should be for my good. But it actually says that, that God is using everything in your life. He's using it all. And all of that is working together for good in your life, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so, it's interesting. This morning I got up, and I got up kind of early, and uh, I was just kind of thinking on these things, and I was looking at some of the scriptures and other things, and I turn on the TV, and I go to find the religious channels and just see who's preaching. And I come across a guy, I'm not going to mention him by name, but I like to hear him preach, and, uh, and I'm listening to him, and lo and behold, what do I hear that he's on? He's talking about the life of Joseph, but he has, his sermon is titled Detours, and he talks about when we, when God, somehow we have to take these detours in life. I want you to understand something. I totally disagree with the title of his sermon, okay? I believe that God is sovereign, and I'm going to preface that with this. I believe that God is absolutely Sovereign, which I shouldn't have to do that because that's what sovereign means. But I have to say that. And here's, here's what I want you to understand. Your life as a believer is being coursed out exactly the way God has planned it to happen. Okay? There is no detours, as this brother put it. And I did agree with a lot of his points. I just agreed with the overall thought. But there are no detours. It's kind of like when people will preach this. They'll say in the Garden of Eden, you know, God had his plan and and man blew it by sinning. So God had to go to plan B. 
Folks, there is no plan B. Matter of fact, there is no plan A. There is simply God's plan. So, in the 37th chapter of the book of Genesis, and what we're going to do is we're going to look practically at God using all things to work out his purpose in people's lives. And it starts off in chapter 37, and it says, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. He said, Joseph, being 17, year old, 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So it starts off, you got this story of this 17-year-old. He's out with some of the sons of his father, Jacob. And what does he do? He comes home and tells on them. Now, Justin was talking about parenting today, and if you have children, and you always got that youngest one, it seems like, the one that's standing around and comes in, and he's a tattletale, okay? Well, what does that create among siblings? Usually, it's like a fist shake. You know, it's like, you wait till we're alone, buddy. You're going to get it. You know, even though your parents are saying, you better not lay a hand on him, they're going to get it. I can promise you they're going to get it. And so, it says now, verse 3 it says, Now Israel loved J- Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, what we're looking at here is, you know, a lot of times we go back and we read the stories about the old patriarchs, and we, I remember I used to think about Abraham and Moses, and you just think of these just virtually perfect, flawless people. And then what happens is you read the Bible. And you can't hardly find a family in the Bible that there isn't some severe dysfunction going on. I mean, when you read this, and I mean, here is he. I mean, he obviously loves Joseph in a way. Uh, he, he made him a robe that was far more special than all of his other sons have. No doubt he, this was probably manifested probably just by the way he treated him as opposed to them. And what did it cause? It caused them to hate him. And it says and they couldn't even speak favorably to him. I mean, no doubt any time they were alone, it was just, you know, barbs and jabs and condescending and your dad's favorite. And so we see these things. Now, what I want you to pay attention to as we go through this, God is going to be using a father's love, a father's dysfunction. He's going to use brother's hatred. He's going to use things like this to work out his perfect plan in the in the the lives of these people now in verse 5 it says joseph had a dream and he says and he he went to his brothers and he said he had this dream and his brothers hated me even more because here's what the dream said he said we were in this my dream he says we were binding sheaves and he says and my sheaf stands up straight and tall and all of your sheaves bow down to it now i don't know if he's just a naive 17 year old that doesn't realize, like, he's just going, well, I had this awesome dream, you know. But what did it cause? It caused him to hate him even more. Well, I mean, you know, if Jacob's listening to this dream, Jacob might be, hey, i got to say something real quick. Somebody turn the heat down. Whew, it's hot. And I'm up here in where it is. So if somebody knows how to work that thing, turn it down. Now, when Jacob hears the first dream, he might have been in agreement with that. He might be saying, yeah, you know, I'm planning on uh, maybe bestowing the firstborn to Joseph. And they'll, Well, I don't know that. But, but the second dream he has, he has a dream, and he says, it says, and he told it to his brothers. He said, behold, I've dreamed another dream, and behold, the sun, the moon, the eleven stars were bowing down to me. Now, this not only includes all of his brothers, but this includes Jacob and his mother. And Jacob was even angry at this and rebuked him. He says, shall me and your mother bow down before you? But his brothers were jealous and they hated him even more. But Jacob held on to these things and he he thought on these things. And so the next scene, what we see is Jacob's sons are out tending the herd. And and Jacob says, "Uh, Joseph, why don't you go check on your brothers? And once again, I can almost just picture this naive kid. You know, that, you know that guy that just don't get it? He's just going out there. It just seems like, I don't know how it was. That's the way I kind of picture it. Maybe not. But this is the tattletale coming, right? 
Now, why is, why is Jacob sending him? Because he really doesn't trust his sons. I mean, the last time they were doing things they shouldn't be doing. So he says, you need to go check on your brothers. I haven't heard from them. We need to find out what's going on. So here comes Joseph. Well, he goes to where they're supposed to be, and guess what? They're not there. So he starts searching for them, and here he comes. The brothers see him a distance away, and they said, there he is. And the Bible says, and they saw him from afar, and before, and, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Now, you want to talk about dysfunctional family? Now, I've been mad at my brothers and my sister at times, and I might have even said, I'm going to kill you. But there's no way I meant it. There's no way. I mean, you know, you, you know, I remember one time my little sister was in school, and there was a guy, you know, like a year younger than me, bullying her. And she's like eight years younger than me. And when I found this out, that was bad news for him. And I didn't beat him up, but I did slam him up against the lockers real good. And guess what? He left her alone. Now, I would go home and probably abuse her, you know, probably, you know, pick on her, do all kinds of things. But nobody else is going to do that to my sister, you know. But they're, they want to kill him. And so what happens is they say, say, let us kill him. But Reuben, the oldest brother, comes along, and he hears the plan. He goes, no, 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 let's don't kill him. Let's don't shed blood, you know. And he says, look, there's a pit here. Let's just throw him in the pit. And Reuben's plan was, we, I'm just going to try to keep him safe until I get him back home to dad. That was the plan. And then somewhere, Reuben goes somewhere. They throw him in this pit. They strip his robe off of him. They don't want him to be, you know, flaunting that. They rip it off of him, and they throw him in this pit with no water. And you know what they do? They're so callous, they just sit down to have a meal. Can you imagine your brother over there screaming and hollering and, you know, what, you know, please, and, and they just say, hey, let's eat. And like, ah, shut up, you know. That's probably what was going on. And they look up, and here comes a band of Ishmaelites, some Midianites, and they come along, and they say, hey, we got this guy here, we'll sell you. And they said, sure. They pull him out of the pit, and they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. And then what do they do? Well, they've got to figure out a way to cover up what they've done. They take his robe. They dip it in blood. They bring it to Jacob. And they said, this, this looks kind of like, is this Jacob's? I mean, is this Joseph's? He's like, oh, my gosh, a wild beast, no doubt, has devoured him and killed him. And no doubt, Joseph is dead. And they're like, oh, and he's mourning and he can't be comforted and all this. And in the Midianites, it says they sold him into Egypt to a man named Potiphar, who was an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Now, when it says the captain of the guard, he was the captain of the bodyguard of Pharaoh. He was the guy that made sure Pharaoh's life was protected and safe. Now, chapter 38 is kind of sandwiched in there, and it's, it doesn't really involve the life of Joseph is what we're talking about. So we're going to pick back up in what we would call the second scene of this story. Now, in Chapter 39 in verse 1, it says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. Now I want you to listen real close to this next line. The Lord was with Joseph. Now here's what I want you to understand. When we say that we believe that God is sovereign, now listen to me. If you really believe that, I want to ask you something, How, and I'm included in this. If we really believe that God is sovereign and he is in control and everything that's happening in my life is for a, not just a purpose, but for his purpose, he's going to work it all out in my life, in your life, according to his perfect plan and will, then how come we say things like, why am I in this place? Why have you let this happen to me, God? You know, we start asking these questions. And, and now on the side of our mouth, we're saying, God is sovereign. And we're, we're just thinking of just these skipping these very you know, big high points. God's going to work it all out. But then when it comes down to our life, we complain. We complain about the parents we had. You just don't know what kind of parents I had. I was abused. I was this and this and this. Well, I'll tell you this, I, I'm, I'm not even going to pretend to understand what you've gone through, but I am going to tell you this, that even that, God was using that to work good in your life. You don't know, you don't know how poor we were, you don't know how bad we had, you don't, listen, I'm going to tell you this, I can say the same things, I've been bitter about, I shouldn't say that, but 
But my biological father at times, I'm just like, why, why him? Why him? Abusive to my mother, you know, we were, they, you know she left him. I mean, physically abusive. And I would sometimes, I, would, I didn't like my last name. I didn't want to be his son. But you know what? Providentially, God, that's, that's who God gave me. And you know what? All of that is working for my good. Every bit of it. So, the Lord was with Joseph. Now, if you're Joseph, you've just been, they wanted to kill you. They threw you in a pit. They sold you into slavery. Listen, folks, it ain't like he was saying, man, I'll be glad this week's over and I can get back home. No, he's in a foreign land now. His father doesn't even know that he's alive. He thinks he's dead. Nobody's coming looking for him. He is somebody else's property. But it says the Lord was with him, and, and he became successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master, listen, he saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so Joseph found favor in his sight, and he attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had. Now, providentially, God just opens Potiphar's eyes. He says, man, everything this kid does, it just works out great. I trust him. I mean, I believe this kid is honest. I'm going to put him in charge of everything. You know what? Potiphar didn't even, he wouldn't even come and say, I want to see everything. Show me what you've done. He's like, Joseph, I trust you. If you're doing it, it's got to be good. He's looking around at his house and everything's prospering. Here's what I want to tell you. Where you're at, you may not want to be there. I can tell you as good as it was for Joseph, that's not where he wanted to be. But where he was, God was with him. And Joseph was honoring God by honoring his master and doing the best that he could. Okay? So you may not be where you want to be, but make no mistake, it is not taking God by surprise. And if you are his, God is with you, and he is working in this in your life to make you more like Christ. Now, things are going great. He has control over all the house, but the problem is he's a young man, he's built good, and he's good-looking, and Pharaoh had a wife that was not trustworthy. I mean, Potiphar did. And every day she's like, hey, come in here, you know, come in here and, you know, let's get together. And, and he's just, no, no. And finally, you know, she, she tells him and he says, look, he says this, he says, he says, he, he is not kept, he is, he's talking about Potiphar. He said, he's not greater in this house than I am, meaning he's saying Potiphar has given me the same authority he has. He says, and he hasn't kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. Now listen to what he says. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now you're, you're almost expecting him to say and sin against Potiphar or my master, but that's not what he says. Now see, sometimes we get in these situations in life, and it's like God has abandoned me. You know what has happened? I was having it so good over here. My father loved me. My brothers didn't like me. But man, me and dad, we were so tight. And now they sold me and I'm over here. So many times we see Christians, they'll do this like, man, I ain't going back to church. God, he, he's not even with me, man. I was trying to serve him. I was doing this and that. I know he's sovereign, but man, this time he's just lost sight of me. And then if you do come to church, you're like, I'm going to come. But on the inside, I ain't singing. I'm not going to sing and worship the Lord. Well, I'll do it because everybody's watching me. Like, nah, 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 nah. That's not what he did, is it? Now, you look at this. We're talking about a 17, 18-year-old young man who, in his mind, he's got to be wondering what's going on. And what is he doing? We find him honoring God. He's honoring Potiphar because he's first honoring God. And so, what happens next? Potiphar's wife, she... One day, he says, here comes Joseph. He's doing his daily chores. I can just see him used to. I would say he had his notepad out today. He probably had an iPad. You know, he's going through it. He's checking things off. He's not even looking around. He's so, he's so consumed with his work, he doesn't even notice there's no men in the house. And you can almost picture Potiphar's wife telling all the guys, hey, I'll give you the day off. You don't even got to come to work today. Now she's got him. He's all by himself. She grabs him by his robe. She says, come in and lay with me. 
And man, Joseph, he freaks out, and he's wiggling out of that robe, and he runs for it. He runs. She's mad. She screams out, this Hebrew has tried to come in and make mockery of me. She falsely accused him of trying to rape her. Potiphar comes home. He's angry. And here's the problem. I, I can almost imagine that Potiphar, there's probably a, a thing here where he probably knew his wife. If he didn't, he was a really dumb man. But he probably knew. But there was this part where he had to protect her reputation, probably so to speak. So what does he do? He gets angry with Joseph, and he puts him in Pharaoh's prison. Now, Pharaoh's prison was a like a dungeon, and it was it was... It wasn't just like normal prison. It was prison for people who basically were trying to take out the Pharaoh. So it was, it was going to be a rough place. And that's where he puts him. Now listen to this. And, and then it says, in, he put him in his prison. Look in verse 21. It says, but the Lord was with Joseph. Folks, he's just spiraling further and further downward. See, this is not what American Christianity, and I use that term loosely, wants to tell you today, hey, it's all about your best life now, right? I mean, man, I mean, I heard that guy preach one time, and he says, you know, he says, my little girl bought her a dip of ice cream. This is Joel Osteen, okay? And he says, and, and she fell, and it fell on the ground, and other kids were laughing. So you know what he did? He went and gave her a double dip. He says, God wants to give you a double dip. I'm going to tell you this. You can read about 500 pages of junk, and when it says your best life now and there's not one presentation of the gospel, you can be assured it's not your best life now. I'm going to tell you something. This was Joseph's best life now. The main reason is because even though everything, it seems, is going against I mean, it's just working backwards. He, at least he was a slave in favor. Now he's in prison, but it says God was with him. And then he says, and it adds, he says, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it to succeed. I mean, I'm telling you, when I say God is in control, that's all caps. That's got exclamation points all lined up behind it. If you're Listen, if you are the keeper of the prisoners in Pharaoh's dungeon, you want to make sure you're doing a good job. And he trusted Joseph so much, he just kicked back reading the paper. He's seeing who's going to make it to the Super Bowl. He's not worried about it. Complete trust. And God's with Joseph, and Joseph is honoring the keeper of the prison. He said, he don't even worry about what's going on. Then in chapter 40, we see this. Chapter 40, we see the story that all of a sudden two guys get sent to prison. One is the cupbearer and one is the baker. Pharaoh gets angry with him and he sends him to prison. Well, why would he send him to prison? Well, in three days, in verse 20 of chapter 40, he says he's going to have a birthday party. Now, you think, why would he get mad at the cupbearer and the baker? Well, if you're the Pharaoh, people sometimes want to, they don't like you and they want to take you out. You know what the cupbearer's job was? He didn't just bring him a cup. No, everything that Pharaoh was to drink, the cupbearer got to drink it first. So if somebody's poisoned Pharaoh's drink, it's a high-risk job. You're close to Pharaoh, and he's going to keep you close, but here, you take a drink first. And then the baker, well, he's cooking things for Pharaoh. He could throw in some arsenic or something, you know, and take him out. So what happens is they both have a dream. Now, remember Jacob? He's the guy that dreams. Not only that, that he have these dreams, but he interprets dreams. And he says, they're troubled. And he says, tell me your dreams. And they, they give him their dreams. And Jacob, or Joseph says, well, God will give you the interpretation. And here it is. He tells the cupbearer, he says, look, in three days, Pharaoh is going to lift up your head. And he's going to restore you to your position. The baker says, wow, that went good for him. Tell me mine. He goes, well, in three days, Pharaoh is going to lift your head off of you and hang you on a tree. Not the interpretation he wanted, but it was accurate. 
In three days, that's exactly what happened. And then when the cupbearer gets restored, Joseph told him one thing. Please don't forget about me. Remember me when you get before Pharaoh and tell him, tell him my case. I'm innocent. But the cupbearer forgot him. In chapter 41, it says, After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. Now, folks, at this point, chapter 41, Joseph is now 30 years old. He was 17 when he went into slavery. He is now 30 years old. He has been away from his father and his younger brother for 13 years. Now, I want to ask you something. I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know where you're at, but I want to ask you, have you been there 13 years? Do you think that he's thinking back to those dreams saying, man, I know I had those dreams and everybody's supposed to be. He ain't thinking about that. He's probably almost forgotten what his life was like. This is his life now, and he's in prison. But, but here's what happens. God uses another dream. Pharaoh has two dreams. In his first dream, he dreams that there's, he dreams of these seven plump, well-fed cows. Man, they're greatly, I mean, if you're, if you're a rancher, these are the cows you want. And then he dreamed that these, these seven thin, you know, skinny cows, they, they come up and they just devour, they eat the fat cows. He wakes up and he's like, what was that? Then he goes back to sleep, he has another dream, and he sees these, these, these grains of corn come up, man, they're just perfect looking. And then these, these ones, it's like this wind blowing, there's nothing, and they devour the, the good looking ears of corn. And he wakes up and he brings in his wise men, he says, tell me what this dream means. He says, we don't know, Pharaoh. And then the cupbearer, he says, Pharaoh, I remember my fault today. Ah, man, there's a guy in your prison. And, and when you remember that day you sent me and the baker, you was mad at us, you sent us to prison? Well, we had a dream, and, and this guy interprets dreams. And he told me you was going to restore me. He told me that you was going to kill the baker, and that's what you did. And I think you ought to talk to him. So they bring him out. They shave him. They clean him up. He's looking Egyptian now. And they bring him out. And he says, I hear that you can interpret dreams. He says, no, I can't interpret dreams. He says, but God will interpret your dream, and he'll show you favor. He tells him the dreams. He said, the dreams are the same dream. He said, here's what's about to happen, Pharaoh, and God's being good to you. He's going to show you what's about to happen. He says, the next seven years, it's going to be tremendous crops, crops of plenty. I mean, the yield is going to be incredible. He said, but following those seven years, it's going to be seven years of famine. It's going to be worse. The the Severity of that will be far more than the greatness of the good seven years. And Pharaoh's like, whoa. And then he says, what should we do? And he says, I think what you ought to do is take a fifth of the grain from everybody through these seven years and let's store it up. And you probably ought to set somebody that's wise and knows how to distribute this. Now, you've got to wonder, who would he be considering here? Who's on the short list here? And in one day, Joseph goes from being in prison at 30 years old, that Pharaoh exalts him, gives him his signet ring. He says, this guy is the same as me in all of Egypt. If he says it, it's the same as me saying it. He goes from being a prisoner to now he is this, he, he's not Pharaoh, but he's just he's right there. I mean, basically, Pharaoh's now kicking back, reading the paper, not worrying about what's going on, because... Joseph's in charge, and he can be trusted. And so that's what we see in chapter 41. And it brings us down to chapter 42. In chapter 42, the famine is hit. Seven years has gone by. So you've got to keep in mind now, Jacob is how old? He's 37 years old, right? The seven years of the plenty has gone. Now they're into the famine. He's 37. And in, 40, in, verse, in chapter 42, it says, When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? It's almost like saying, look, you dummies, you know there's grain in, in, in Egypt. Get down there. And so in verse 3, so ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, and Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his, with his brothers, for he feared that, that harm might happen to him. Now, why do you think that? I mean, you see, you got to understand something. Jacob loved Rachel. And Rachel bore two children to Jacob. One was Joseph and one was Benjamin. They were the sons of his old age. He loved Joseph, and Benjamin's the last one. There's no way he's sending Benjamin. There's no way he's going to do that. 
So he sends the other ten sons down to Egypt. And then it says, and they, it says in verse 5, it says, Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was governor over the land, and he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came, and they bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. You really think we're going to bow down to you? Is that what you're telling us? Let me tell you something, folks. When God says things are going to be a certain way, they're going to be that way perfectly. They're going to be that way. So they bow down before him. And then Joseph, he does this. He says, I think you're spies. You've come to spy out the land. They said, no, 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 we're honest men. We have, and he says, tell me about yourself. They said, well, we have a father. He says, you got a father? Is he alive? Yeah. You got any more brothers? Yeah, there's one more. He's at home. But we're honest men, and we've just come down. We need grain, you know. He says, no, I think you're spies. He says, I want you to prove it by bringing your younger, your younger brother with you. That's what he's trying to tell him. And, and so, and it's incredible. Now, as, as we're going through the life of Joseph, I want to read this to you. Listen to this. He's telling them he wants them to bring, to bring Benjamin with him. And he says this in verse 19. He says, if you're honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. And then he says, And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they, and they did so. Now listen, he's saying, I'm going to keep one of you, kind of like that. I'm going to try to make sure you come back. But don't you dare show back up without your youngest brother. Because I've got to see if you're really honest men or not. I, I'm not sure I believe you. Now, out of that, listen to this next part. Now, the, the brothers are all together. Now, now you've got to realize something. Joseph speaking to them is through an interpreter. They don't realize that jo- Joseph, they don't know who he is. They think he's an Egyptian. So when he speaks to them, he's using an interpreter even though he doesn't have to. And then they get together and they said one to another, they said, in truth... We are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. Now, i got to ask you a question. Where is this coming from? Out of nowhere in this story, why all of a sudden are they looking back to the time that they sold Joseph into slavery? Do you remember that phrase, all things work to good? Even in their lives. And God is convicting them. He's bringing that sin strongly to their mind. And they said, this is, that's why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, and he says, Did I not tell you that you shouldn't sin against the boy? You know, this is that guy. I told you so. I to, you know, you hate that guy, right? But you didn't listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Now listen to this. They did not know that Joseph understood them. There was an interpreter between them. They didn't understand it. So here's what happens. They go home. But before they go home, you know what Joseph does? He tells the people that took their money, he says, you put their money back in their sack and you put extra money in each of their sacks. And they don't know it. They go all the way back home now. They don't have Simeon. Poor guy, he's not even really mentioned. He's just... He just put in prison. <laughs> I always wonder about that part of it. There's this unknown story we don't know about, but they all show back up. Here's Jacob, and he's like, well, we're seeming. Oh, we had to leave him, and this is why when they open up their, their sacks of grain, not only is their money in there, but another bag of money. And, I mean, fear strikes, and they're like, we, we didn't do this, you know. Now, now, what do we see in that? What is all these things working for? For the purpose that we would be conformed to the image of Christ. They, they did evil to him, but what is he doing to them? He is blessing them. And so, they eat all the grain. There's no more grain. Jacob says, hey, you guys got to go back. And they said, look, Dad. 
we're not going back unless Benjamin goes with you. He says, there's no way Benjamin's going with you. I've already lost one son. It's not going to happen. You're not taking Benjamin. He says, well, then we're not going because the man plainly told us, if you don't bring Benjamin, you're not going to see my face. There's no reason to go. This man dealt with us pretty severe. He doesn't trust us. He doesn't think we're honest. And, ben, and Joseph, Jacob says, why did you even tell him you had a dad? Why did you tell him you had a brother? He says, we didn't know what he was asking us. He just asked us about our lives. He said, we weren't honest. We said, yeah, we have a dad. He said, how did we know he would say, bring your youngest brother? And so, so get this, Judah steps up to the plate. And he says, Father, I'll give my life as a pledge. I promise I'll bring him back. Or my life for his. Now, you want to go back to the early part of this story when they were going to sell him into slavery? It was Judah who's the one that devised the plan. He goes, hey, no reason that we can't make something out of this deal. We shouldn't kill him. Let's just sell him. We'll all get some money out of this deal. That was Judah's plan. And here we see Judah saying, Father, I promise my life is on the line here. I will bring Benjamin back. Jacob's not, he doesn't like the plan, but he says, take him and go. And so here's what happens. They show back up. And they said, uh, in verse 19, it says, so they went up to this. This is in chapter 43, verse 19. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. And so we brought it again with us. They're like, we don't even know how this happened. But we're bringing it back. They're, what are they trying to do? They're trying to say, look, we're honest men. That that we found, we're bringing it back. And it says, and we... And we have brought other money down with us to buy food, and we do not know who put our money in our sacks. And, and he replied, he says, Peace to you, to you. Do not be afraid. He says, Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. He said, I received your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. And when the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that he should eat bread there. And Joseph came home, and he brought into the house to him the present that they had with them, and, he, and they bowed down to him to the, to the ground. Now, if you remember, all of his brothers were going to bow down. Now they have Benjamin with him, right? They're all bowing down to the ground before Joseph. And they had this meal with Joseph. And then in chapter 44, Joseph's going to test him. And he says, he commands the steward of his house. He said, fill the, man's, the men's sack with food as much as they can carry. Put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. And then he says, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest with, with his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. And as soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys and they'd gone only a short distance from the city. And Joseph said to his steward, he says, Get up, follow after the men. And when you've overtaken them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? And what I'm not going to read all that just for time's sake, but what he's saying is this. He says, he, and they said, Oh, no, why, why would you say it? We haven't done anything. And he says, No, one of you has stolen the cup that my master drinks from, the cup of divination. That probably freak you out. I don't think Joseph practiced that, but the Egyptians did. But he had this cup, and they placed it in Benjamin's sack, and they're, and they're still trying to convince him they're honest men, right? And they say, they said, we promise we didn't take it. And they said, if you find it in any one of our sacks, he said, whoever's in, let him be put to death. And he said, as your word says. They start with the oldest, and they look in his sack, not there, not there, not there. Finally, they've gone through ten sacks, and there's one sack left. And they open it up, and they pull out the cup. See, this is where, this is where Joseph's testing them. He's going to see if they're going to abandon Benjamin the same way he abandoned him. 
He's going to see if there's really been a change in their life or not. Are you going to leave him and go tell dad he's dead too? It says the brothers tore their clothes. They get on their donkeys and, man, they're hot-footing it back to the city. They've taken Benjamin. You know, he's going to have to remain there. He's going to be put to death, they think. And Judah speaks up. And from verse, well, in verse 14, this is when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. He was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. They are prostrate. They are humbling themselves before Joseph. And Joseph says, what deed is this that you've done? Did you not know that a man like me could indeed practice divination? They still think he's some Egyptian guy. And so Judah begins to speak. And from 16 to the end of the chapter, Judah is speaking on behalf of his father. Now listen to this. Go to 23. And he's saying, this is what we, we told our dad. And he says, he said, your servant said, they told his dad, they said, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face. And we went back with your servant to my father and told him the words of the Lord. And when our father said, go again and buy us food, he said, we can't go down if our youngest brother doesn't is not with us. And says, he says, then we will go down. He says, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is there. Now listen. Then your servant, my father, said to us, he says, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. He's talking about Joseph. And I said, surely he's been torn to pieces and I've never seen him since. And he says, if you take this one also from me and harm happens to him, you will bring down my gray hairs and evil to Sheol. And he says, now, therefore, as soon as I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, as soon as he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your, of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol, to the grave. He says, for your servant became a pledge of safety for the boy of my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, and I shall bear the blame before my father all my life. And, Ju and Judah says to Joseph, Now therefore please let your servant remain instead of the boy as a servant to my Lord. And let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would find my father. They passed the test. Joseph sees that there's no way they're going to abandon Benjamin like they did him. Judah is saying, Judah, the one who devised the plan to sell him, the one that wanted to kill him, and now he says, please, please don't take the boy. He says, keep me, my life for his, but please don't keep the youngest. And in chapter 45, it says, Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, he says, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He basically has every Egyptian. He gets everybody out of the room. He says, I don't need no bodyguards. Get everybody out of here. And he's crying. Listen to what it says. It says, so, it says, and Joseph, or, he says, he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. I mean, can you imagine the anguish that had been built up? Because at this time, folks... He's like 39 years old. He was 30. No, no, no. Yeah, he was 37 when the famine starts. So it's been two years. He's 39 years old. He's been gone from his house for 22 years. All of this is just coming out. Everybody is hearing it. I mean, can you imagine what that sounds like? And then Joseph said, I mean, can you imagine the brothers? They think they're dealing with this. God, it's like Pharaoh. They don't know it's Joseph yet. And they're probably in this room alone with him freaking out. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed. They were, they were in unbelief. They were in shock at his presence. I mean, he just says, I'm Joseph. I'm your brother. And they're just like standing there. What do you do? Do they get excited? Do they get fearful? And Joseph said to his brothers, he says, come near to me, please. 
And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, listen, whom you sold into Egypt. I don't know what's going through their mind. And listen to what he says next. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Now listen, he says, for God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me here. He said, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years which there will neither be plowing nor harvest. And God, listen, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to keep alive for you many survivors. You go back and you look at this story, and we see the love of a father, the favoritism of a father, the dysfunction of a family, the hatred of brothers. We see dreams in place. We see being sold into slavery. We see accusation of rape. We see being put in a prison. We, be, we see interpreting dreams. We see being put over everybody still in Egypt. We see God using all of these things in the life of Joseph to fulfill the perfect plan and purpose of God. And then we'll say, why am I in this place? Why has God let this happen to me? Now you can say, well, Ron, you're talking about Joseph. You're talking about Joseph. I mean, he was a good guy. I mean, really, when you look at the life of Joseph, I mean, what can we say? God just, he's flawless, right? What about, what about the people who walk away from the Lord? Now I'm talking about people who are truly born again. They're not in obedience. They're, they've, they've walked away from the Lord. Well, I, got, I got a little word for you really close, really quick. A guy called Jonah. And one, one, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It says, go to Nineveh. What does Jonah do? He jumps on the boat and goes to Tarshish. He flees from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4, God hurls a wind, a storm after Jonah. People love reading about Jonah. It's the great fish story, right? Jonah has an incredible testimony. I'm the guy that got puked out of the fish. I will tell you this. You want to run from the presence of the Lord? You want to walk in disobedience and you're really his? I'll promise you this. I'll promise you you're going to have an awesome testimony. But I'll promise you this. If you go back and ask Jonah, hey, how would you like to do that again if you had to do over? Well, I think when the Lord told me to go, I think I would just go. You see, he puts him out there on the sea. He sends a storm after him. There's all these these guys on this boat, and they're all praying to their God, right? And they're just like, oh, what's going on? And there's this one guy. There's this one guy who, there's this storm going on, and he's down in the inner part of the boat. He's on a cushion asleep. You ever notice that people that have walked away from the Lord sometimes are the most clueless? Everybody can see there's a storm going on in your life. It's affecting every one of us, and you seem to be asleep. They wake him up, and they said, wake up, oh sleeper. Who's your God? What's your occupation? Well, my occupation is I'm a servant of the Lord. I fear the Lord. And I'm the reason that this storm is here. It's me. It's all my fault. He says, cast me overboard and this, is, this will go away. Chapter 1 of verse 15. They said they cast Jonah into the sea and the storm ceased from its raging. 2.1 Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. You want to take that route? You don't want to be like Joseph and do the right thing? You want to take the route of disobedience? Well, I promise you this. Your, your fish, it may not be a real fish in a lake or a, a, an ocean, but you're going to wind up in the belly of something. And because you are God's, I promise you, you will call out to him in prayer. And I'll tell you this, he will hear. Because we read about Joseph over here and it would say the Lord was with him. I want you to know that even in Jonah's disobedience, the Lord was with him. And he's using all of these things to bring Jonah around to be conformed to the image of Christ. In verse 10, it says the Lord speaks. This is 2.10. 
or in 2.7, it says, When his life was at the point of almost gone, Jonah remembers the Lord, and the Lord speaks to the fish, and it vomited him on dry ground. I've heard people talk about this. I don't know if it's true. But, you know, when Jonah came to town, <laughs> I've heard somebody was in a fish for three days. This is, like, recent, you know. And they said he came out all blue. <laughs> I don't know. If <laughs> Jonah went through the town, he's like, hey, it's easy to spot this guy. He's blue. Or he has a horrendous smell about him. I don't know. Maybe he was cleaned up and looked fine. But whatever the case was, he did go to Nineveh. And when the Lord told him to go again to Nineveh, guess what? It says Jonah arose and went. God was with him. We go back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, he says, And we know, chapter 8, verse 28, And we know... That for those who love God, I want to ask you something, are you those? Do you love God? He said, for those who love God, he says, all things work together. The parents you had, the raising, the upbringing you had, the schools you went to, the teachers you had, the, the, the kids that made fun of you, the, whatever it was, the success, the failures, all of these things God is using in your life He's working in you to conform you to the image of Christ. See, when you understand this a little bit like this, it's, it's, you can follow along when James says, you know, that we should, we should find joy in, in the trials that we go through. Have you ever thought about that? It's like, James, are you insane? That reads well, it preaches well, but the reality is when you're going through a trial and it don't matter how small it is, we're not usually going like, wow, just... But you know what we can do? We can stop right now for going through things and go, maybe I haven't been looking at this right. I'm going to rejoice today that God has called me and he's found me worthy to work this out in my life, even as hard as it is, that I can be more like Jesus. And so he says, we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. I mean, think about it. Hey, hey, Jim Elliott. Why don't you go down and preach to the Alcas? They're the most vicious tribe on the face of the earth that we know right now. Why don't you go down and convert them, Jim Elliott? Take your wife and your child. Team up with these other missionaries. I'm, I'm sending you down there, Jim. They're, things are going great. They're flying over them. They're dropping things down. They've, they know their language. They're speaking good things to them. They finally land. This is great. People come out. It's going well. And then some men come out, and they spear all those men. Young husbands, young fathers. They spear them all to death. You go, why? Because God's working all things according to his purpose, his will for their good. How can that be good, Lord? They just got speared to death. Well, because I'm going to send Jim's wife and his child back in there with Stephen Saint's sister, and they're going to go in, and they're going to give him an alphabet and a language, and they're going to teach him the gospel. And that man that, 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 that speared Stephen Saint, this man is going to become a, a, a Christian, and he's going to baptize Stephen's son in that river that he slew his dad in. Try to understand how God works everything out would fry your brain. But what he wants from us is to trust that what God is doing is best and is perfect. Now you could say, well, God could have done this. He could have just, he could have just fed Abraham and all. Yeah, God works in the events and the affairs of men, but he's doing it according to his decreed will. He's working everything out perfectly according to his will, his purpose, his plan. Not plan A, but his plan. And he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Think about this. Listen, Corey Ten Boom. I want you to rescue these Jews, these ones that are marked out, and they're going to rescue them. Hide them in your home. You read the story of Corey and her sister Betsy. Betsy was this very loving, very... 
You know, she loved the Lord. She always looked at the bright side of things. Corey was always ready to fight. She was always angry. Betsy was her older sister. Man, she looked after her. She'd always be like, now, Corey, we know. Let's just praise God in this. And she's like, ah. They go into a prison camp. They get discovered. They go into a prison camp. And even while they're there, Corey's always mad. You know, she's angry, like questioning things. And Betsy's like, oh, the Lord, is, you know, he's in control. And Betsy, I don't remember how she knew, had a dream, something. She says, we're going to be out of here before Christmas. Well, Betsy died and went to be with the Lord. But like two days before the end of the year, whatever the date was, I think it was Christmas or the end of the year, Corey Ten Boom was supposed to go to the, or they burn him. Somehow her name got switched and got put on the we're letting you go people. And she got out of there. Now remember, she was the one that was always slow to get it, to love, to, to forgive. And guess what? She's, she's, years later, she goes around the world telling about what happens. And she gave this, this, this talk, her testimony of everything that God had done and how, he'd all, and how the guards had mistreated him and all this and talked about forgiveness and all these things. And as the meeting ends and people are coming up and they're just you know, glad, you know, just talking to her and visiting, a man walks up. She didn't recognize him right at first until she heard his voice. And he called her Fraulein. He was the guard who would mistreat her and Betsy so bad. And he said, Fraulein, I became a Christian. And I want to ask for your forgiveness. She said her blood ran cold. She said, for a moment I just froze. I've been talking about all this stuff, but... Now he's right in front of my face. She said, I couldn't hardly, I couldn't lift my arm. And then God gave her grace. And she said, I forgive you. All of these things work together for good to conform us to his son. Our God is sovereign. And then you read down and you say, and, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And you go, you know, it seemed like sanctified should have been in there. We just read about the sanctified part. And then he asked the question, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Every time it went south for Joseph, the Lord was with him. But the Lord, his God, was with him. God was with him the whole way. God was with Jim Elliott the whole way. He was with Corey Tinboom the whole way. And I'm going to tell you this, he's with you right now. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what you're going through, maybe. I looked around talking with Kobe last night. Little boys are sick. Man, I'm telling you, as a parent, ain't probably too many things worse than little sick guys, especially when they're really little, and they can't even tell you, like, hey, I can't breathe. Those things are working good in their lives right now. Father, we just want to worship team can come. We just want to bow before you today and just thank you, God, for just reminding us who you are. Lord, every one of us goes through things, and so many times we, we do complain, we do question. Lord, help us to be increased. Help us to get in your word, to, to, to see who you are, to learn to, to fall in love and grow closer to Christ each day. To realize that what we're going through is for our good. And, and Lord, I, honestly, there's times when I, I even know that and I almost just clench my teeth and my fist because I don't want it. God, forgive me today. Help me to embrace where you have placed me. Help me to glorify you in that place. 
and trust that you know exactly what you're doing, whether I do or not. And I just want to pray for our church today. God, be with us. In Jesus' name. While they're fixing to get ready, I do want to say this. We're going to have a prayer meeting tonight at, at 6 at Paul's. I'm going to try to start a discipleship kind of class, not class, but just a... If people are interested in a high emphasis on evangelism and prayer and accountability, but not just coming together and talking about it, but we're actually going to go do it. Then I want you to come tonight, and we're going to kind of—I'm going to just tell about it, and we're going to try to get that started. Now, what I am saying is this: if you don't feel like you want to come, then I don't want you to have to feel like that. But if you're that person that says, "Hey, I would love to be a part of that," then I want to encourage you to come. It's going to be kind of boot campish, not so militant, but it's going to be right down. We're not going to fluff around. It's going to be right down to the getting to where the rubber meets the road. I love all of you.